Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So for the past few weeks, and we've got a few more coming up, we've been reading along through the Gospel of Matthew. Our sermon series is called Matthew is Meaningful, and we are following these narrative sequence of Jesus' earliest days in ministry and then finding meaning for our lives today. So far, we've been with Jesus for his baptism in the Jordan River and for his temptations in the Judean desert. And today, we have front row seats to the beginning of Jesus' work. Jesus picks up where John the baptizer left off, announcing the trajectory of the next few years when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then when we read along, we see the first disciples called. We hear that classic invitation, follow me, and then we learn that the healings have begun. Great crowds follow him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now up until these verses, Jesus has either been a baby or been under the water for baptism or under the pressure of the devil, but now Jesus gets to shine and his ministry does not disappoint. Now, don't get me wrong, the earlier moments were important too. I mean, it's not every baby who's born whose birth gets other babies to be killed by the king. And of course, those 40 days and nights in the desert had multiple meanings. But up until now, Matthew's gospel hasn't really given us Jesus's top build moments. This reading is the first time we get to see, this reading is the first time we get to hear about what he actually gets done. And spoiler alert, it is amazing. The opening lines, they seem like they're just about geography, but they're actually alerting us that Jesus is doing something big. Scripture tells us that he goes from his home region of Nazareth and he settles in the city of Capernaum. What this means is that Jesus is moving from a no-name town. Remember, nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. Jesus is moving from a no-name town to put himself in the bustling city of Capernaum moving from a no-name town to a big and bustling city, one built next to Roman roads and trade routes by the sea. And what's more, he goes to this area of Zebulon and Naphtali, and that area is kind of like the lost tribes of Israel. They'd been conquered by the Assyrians a long time ago. It's why it's called the Galilee of the Gentiles, because populations had merged 
for a mixture of Gentiles and Jews, and now it's a Roman-occupied, bustling, cosmopolitan city. And what's more, it's at the heart of the territory where the tyrant Herod reigned. This is Herod, the Tetrarch, who we just learned arrested John the Baptist. And we'll find out in later chapters of Matthew's Gospel that he has John killed. Jesus moves there into the center, into the mix of things. To inaugurate his ministry, Jesus goes right to the middle of people and politics and power. And now once he gets there, the phrase he uses to kick it all off, you've heard before, and it is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the King James translation, we get, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the message, which is that more paraphrased version of the Bible, it says, change your life. God's kingdom is here. My favorite is the Common English Bible. And instead of repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, this is what we get. Change your hearts and minds. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. But whatever the particular translation, it's clear that these are important words from Jesus that inaugurate his ministry in the world. <clears throat> when I was reading on this passage, I came across several commentaries that really stuck to that calling of the first disciples. A lot of passages around follow me. But then I ran into a commentary by Raj Nadella, who's a professor at uh, Columbia Theological Seminary. It's on workingpreacher.com. If you all ever want to know what I'm studying the week of leading up to preaching, you can get a preview there. And Raj, in his commentary, does something really interesting. He takes up the fact that Matthew's gospel does not talk about the kingdom of God. Instead, Matthew's gospel speaks on the kingdom of heaven. He says this description matters because it's more welcoming in Matthew. Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven is more welcoming to the participation of others. The kingdom of heaven is a phrase that makes it less about the central figure and more about the characteristics and the ethos of the new heaven that is to come. It's more about the people who will get involved with Jesus to make this kingdom that's promised a reality. In Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, it's not about receiving the benefits, but it's about advancing the kingdom, getting in the middle of things with the hope for all that's to come. That's why Jesus starts with repent. That's why Jesus starts with repent, because it takes people changing. It takes people turning their hearts. It takes people changing their ways and working toward things to make this kingdom of heaven possible. 
So the first thing Jesus does when he's ready to get the job done is move to the center of the action and tell everyone, turn your hearts, repent, and be part of all that is to come. But when we read along in Matthew's gospel, we see that message, it's hard to resist. We see that people do change, repent, and dedicate themselves to this new world that Jesus promised. That first episode that we read is the most familiar. It's the calling of Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We're gonna hear a lot about it in the hymns that we sing today and the music that our choir has put together. Will you come and follow me? You walk along our shorelines where the land meets the sea. And it is amazing. These were middle-class fishermen who leave their livelihoods behind. They drop their fish and their boats. James and John even leave their father behind. And all that means to no longer have ties or support or obligations of Zebedee. These are the first disciples who drop it all because of the allure of Jesus' voice and the impact of his message. But they are not the only disciples in the passage, are they? Here again, Jesus went throughout the Galilee, curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The crowds were Jesus' first followers, too. The sick, the hordes of folks in need of healing, coming to receive the benefits of the miracles of the kingdom. And did you know there are more people in the crowds? Did you catch that? Scripture says they brought them. They brought them. And when you think about it, that makes so much sense. There had to be a friend who led the blind man from the Decapolis. Someone else had to help the paralytic along from Galilee and to get someone who was tormented all the way from Judea would have had to have taken the effort of a team. Scripture says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick those who were afflicted with various disease and pains, people possessed by demons or having epilepsy or afflicted with paralysis, they brought to him all the sick. It seems that caregivers were Jesus' first disciples too. You all may be more familiar than I am with um, a program for caregiving right down the street from us. It's called Respite Care of Atlanta. It's at Second Ponce Baptist on Peachtree, and it's an adult program for people who are suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. Uh, I did find some interesting statistics about that program on their website. Maybe you all already know this, or maybe it will be as surprising to you as it was to me. The number of Georgians with dementia or Alzheimer's age 65 or older is projected to grow 26.7% by 2025. And supporting a loved one with cognitive decline 
can require 24-7 time-intensive care and attention. So respite care gets involved to offer programming for those who need it to have a place to be loved and cared for. But they also offer a much-needed break to the caregivers, a few hours to rest and recharge, recognizing that caregiving is a calling and that through their love and sacrifice, they who bring the sick are ushering in the kingdom too. Thinking back on Matthew's passage for today, it is, in general, much easier for us to relate to being caregivers than to being fishermen. That someone would leave it all behind, family, livelihood, inheritance, to take up an itinerant lifestyle to follow a traveling teacher, it's kind of unbelievable. I mean, it's quite a plot line. And these are the main characters, they are the named characters, which is one of the reasons that we so often hear that the quintessential words of discipleship are, follow me. But honestly, that scene from the sea, it doesn't really land for me. I've been in church business for over 15 years, and I've met thousands Praise the Lord. Thousands of Christians following after God. And I've gotten to know intimately hundreds, hundreds of disciples who take very seriously their walk of discipleship and their journey of faith. It is inspiring and one of the reasons that I still love this calling. And out of all those thousands of people, I would say maybe 2% of them have given up their work, their families, their homes as part of their discipleship call. But everyone else, everyone else, a full 98% follow the second model of discipleship that Matthew's gospel gives us forgetting to know God. A mother whose adult son just can't land on his feet, so she moves mountains to get him a place to live. A wife whose diagnosis means months of treatment and ill health, and a husband who drives her to every single appointment across town. A daughter who travels across states for years to accompany her parents in their aging. A spouse who breathes deeply when his partner unravels, holding him as he gets a new dosage, as a new med to try. The volunteer who wakes up every Sunday at 5 a.m., maybe 4.30, to make sure that the acquaintance from the street has a good meal. A friend who listens carefully and well again and again when their pal hits a tough season. Honestly, I don't know many fishers of men. 
but I know so many who care for their humans. And that's what we see as discipleship here. When Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, he went to the city and he asked people to get involved. He told fishermen to drop their nets and follow him. And he told the caregivers, keep doing what they do. The sick among you will be healed. So friends, take heart. Wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, whether it's dramatic or a daily routine, whether it loosens your family ties or whether it deepens them, whether you're in that main character mode or you feel like you're part of the crowd, know this, know this. Jesus' call to be part of the kingdom of heaven is for all of us. It's for all of us here. And so may we receive the invitation to repent, to turn our hearts, and to make ways for the at-hand heaven that God so graciously sends. To God be the glory time without end. Alleluia. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.